electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Rally watches. Some say stocks have reached a critical point to start the year. We'll discuss with the investment committee as Josh Brown makes a big move in his portfolio. Joining me for the hour today, along with Josh, Stephanie Link and Jim Laventhal, as you see there. Let's check the market, see what we're doing just past 12 noon in the east. Well, we've been kind of around all around the world here uh, today. Right now, Dow's positive by just three. S&P's flat, and that's kind of where we are. Maybe we're holding ahead of CPI now, uh, which comes on Thursday. But the big deal, and we're going to get to the market, obviously, but... I do want to get to this move from Josh because we made a big deal when you bought Netflix, Mr. Brown. Yeah. Now we're going to make a big deal when you sold it. Okay. Why'd you do it? It's not that big a deal. It's a big deal for me. I'll play along. Uh, Believe it or not, this one actually worked, which was a rarity for 2022. Um, So I bought in the mid 200s. I had expected to be in it longer, but in the environment that we're in, Uh, It's very, very early in Q4 earnings season right now. We really don't know how companies are going to be treated when they report. I actually think Netflix will have a good report. I just don't feel comfortable with what the reaction might be. And I could be dead wrong. So make sure that you understand exactly what I'm saying. I would not be telling people don't own Netflix ahead of earnings. I personally don't feel like it. The thing that I think will be make or break for this particular quarter We're really going to have to get more detail on the launch of the advertising platform. They let the press run wild with some stories. There were some analysts who came out after six weeks and said it was already a flop. A lot of stupid stuff. And Netflix didn't say much back. I think this should be the opportunity where they set the record straight because I believe the ad platform ultimately will be successful. And I think they did a very good job at keeping expectations tame. The second thing is they really should crow about their programming successes that they've had in the fourth quarter. This show Wednesday is a runaway global hit. I think it was their second biggest show ever. They had billions and billions of hours of watch time uh, for this program all over the world. They have to do a better job differentiating themselves from the other streaming services. Let's all remember, this is the only profitable streaming service that exists currently. They are a, a, a cash-producing streaming service, and they have monster, monster hits, and they should be getting more credit, not less. So why am I selling it? The stock is up a lot. Stock's uh, up 39% yep, in above three months. Above its 200-day. Okay. Almost none of these companies are. It had a 99% rebound off its low, though, Judge. Arguably, even if they have good things to say, I can envision a scenario where they sell the news and I get another crack at this thing below 300. So if that happens, that'll be great. You're not the only one who's obviously concerned about where Netflix is. Obviously, it's had this big move after a big uh, pullback. Uh, Barclays today says Q4 subgrowth seems to be trending below guide. 
We believe recent Netflix stock outperformance is largely a function of investor positioning rather than any fundamental change in growth narrative or expectations. Goldman today reiterates their sell. Hi, so, can I chime in on that? Yeah, I want you to. We have to stop with the subgrowth. It's enough. It's gigantic. It has, more, it has more subs than it should have, quite frankly. This is not a subgrowth story anymore. Now it's about how much money can they make from all of the subs that they have and all of the fake subs that aren't yet paying them. We have to, like, like Apple conditioned the street, stop talking about iPhone sales, stop talking about subgrowth already. It's huge. The same way we don't talk about Facebook meta subgrowth anymore. It's now profits. What that's are right. the profits that, and that's of this business? What, and that is exactly what Reed Hastings said. Yes, I believe it was right. after the last earnings report. Stop focusing on subs. Focus on the profitability of it's the subs we're business. getting and the it's ones that we have. It's a mature business. Where are you going to get new subs from next year? Jupiter? Like, at a certain point, you run out of people. So now you've got tens of millions of people using Netflix for free. How do we get them to pay a number that they're comfortable with? Now we've got hundreds of millions of people watching Netflix. What is the advertising uh, revenue potential from that? And what other ways can we take this incredible network effect business and amplify the profits enough already with the subgrowth? It's not the story. Yes, of course, we want net positive subgrowth. But that should not be the thing that has this stock up or down 50 percent over the course of a year. It really, it, it, we've got to change. It's a mature business. We have to change the narrative. Here. You know, la- this sort of a trend of, of what we're seeing, Jim, of, of last year's losers or laggards bouncing to start the year. Here's interesting from Bespoke today. 2022's two biggest losers in the Dow, Salesforce and Intel, have bounced the most in 2023. The eight Dow stocks that are currently down year to date were up an average of 10.5% in 22. The nine Dow stocks up 5% so far in 23 were down an average of 25.8% in 2022. So the trend is interesting, the reversal at least, and it's obviously early. I just wonder if it's time to do what Josh is doing and take a look around to see what was bad that bounced and now whether you should bounce (laughs) from owning the stock. So I think there's an inherent question in what you're asking, which is, is this just a snapback from tax loss selling at the end of the year? Um, which did happen. I mean, a lot of stocks that were down on the year just got absolutely pummeled in December. Um, you mentioned a couple, Salesforce and Apple, excuse me, Salesforce and Intel. I'll mention a couple that are in my portfolio that I believe in that got clobbered in December and are bouncing back nicely in the first couple of weeks this year. That's Paramount and Cleveland Cliffs. So the question is this, is it just tax loss selling and a little snapback or is there something fundamental going on here? Um, you know, unfortunately, well, look, in the two that I mentioned in my portfolio, I believe there are fundamental reasons to to say that they are under undervalued, but it comes down to the earnings reports and what they say is going on. So unfortunately, I can't answer that question right now, but I will say that the tax loss selling really knocked a lot of these stocks down way below what I think their fair value should be. So maybe if you look at something like Paramount, it's up whatever it is, 15, 20 percent in the first couple of weeks. Yeah, maybe you don't buy it right here, but you do recognize that it got oversold. What, what about this idea? Oh, wait, can, I, can I add to that really quickly? Yeah. I don't think it's all tax loss selling, though. There was also active manager selling. You got to understand the redemptions coming out of growth funds, funds that are tracking the Russell 1000 growth, for example. You had a lot of that selling pressure, too, which has nothing to do with taxes because uh, mutual funds close out their fiscal year in October. So not only did you have tax law selling on the part of individual investors, and Jim is right, you also had this additional pressure 
of just people who were horrible last year performance-wise getting redeemed and selling out the stocks that hurt them the most, which is only and, natural. And window dressing. I no mean, doubt. It's, it's, it's part of the equation. Like, Steph, for example, NVIDIA, Amazon, Meta, right? They're winners so far this year after lagging. And then Pfizer, Chevron, Merck, Exxon, for example, are losers so far after leading. Yeah, I think this is mean reversion theory. Absolutely. I think this is positioning versus fundamentals. Nothing has changed in terms of cloud slowing. PCs are abysmal and the companies are seeing pressure on higher costs and, and higher currency translations. And so when you look at the performance of, of pretty much all of the fangs, I mean, Amazon was down 45% last year, in the last, in the last year. Google is down 37%. Microsoft down 27%. Meta down 60%. This is in the past year. So sure, we are seeing a bounce. And I think that's natural, normal, and what you normally see in January. I don't know if it has legs, Scott, because I don't think any of them other than Meta is cheap enough. Even Netflix. I applaud what they're doing in terms of launching the ad tier. That's still yet to be proven. Their password sharing fix is going to take years, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And OK, great. They did have better content in the second half of the year. But so did a lot of other firms. Disney, Amazon, HBO Max. There's a ton of competition there as well. So I would just argue it's positioning versus fundamentals. I think you want to be very selective. I don't think it's over for value versus growth. I certainly don't think the Fed is going to pause. Powell basically told you that today. They're not pausing anytime soon, not with a 3.5% unemployment rate and high elevated inflation wage numbers, even though they're coming down. So I think the story remains the same. And maybe we can ebb and flow in the markets and trade around. Certainly, there's opportunities on playing the meta, but that's the only one I'm playing at this point in time. But Jim, I mean, tech has been doing a little bit better as a group this year than obviously it did last. I don't think anybody is suggesting at all that the fundamentals around investing in those tech names has improved just because the calendar turned. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a very good point. You know, December 31st of any year is an arbitrary date. Yes, as you know, Josh and I were just discussing, there's tax law selling and window dressing. But to your question or to your point, um, when I look at large cap tech, and I mean the large cap fang techs where there's real earnings, and yeah, we can debate whether the multiple's too high on Microsoft or Apple. The point is this: the companies themselves are doing fine. Okay. Yeah, there may be a slowdown in iPhone sales because of Fox, Foxconn shutdowns, things like that. But that passes. There's no fundamental issues at these companies for a long term. But fine for what? Like fine relative to, to other companies that aren't doing fine? Well, so sure. You, so you, fine relative to what they were doing? Well, you, I don't you, know about you, that. You, you're, you're jumping just a second too early because and you know, you know where I stand on this, that when I'm saying these companies are doing fine, I'm not expecting these to be the market leaders going forward. You know that, Scott. You know that I'm much more of a value-oriented investor, and it's not just because of the multiple differential, which is substantial, between growth and value. It's also because of where I see that earnings growth in the value slash cyclical sectors coming from. There is real building going on across this nation, and it inures to the benefit of the Caterpillars in the world, the Citigroups of the world, the ExxonMobils of the world, the Cleveland Cliffs of the world. I mean, I go to Microsoft, right? I mean, and I go to what I heard Kramer say when he said he had trimmed Microsoft, you know, in the last you know handful of days, saying he never thought he would do it, trim a stock like that. I think, but, but after Satya Nadella comes out himself and says the next two years are going to be tough, 
In Jim's mind, that wasn't a buy signal for the stock. There's not always a linear relationship between how well a company, quote unquote, how well a company is doing and what the stock price does. And part of being an investor as opposed to a trader is accepting the fact that you're going to make investments in businesses that you believe in as long term holdings. And you're going to have to live through periods of time where even though things are going well, you're not being rewarded for that. I think 2020 and 2021 broke a lot of people's brains. And I also think it was a poor introduction to the stock market for the 25 million new investors who started. Because in that 18-month period, there was a linear relationship. You'd say, like, which companies are doing the best in America? And any one of them that you named also happened to have had the most red-hot stock price in the market. And so it just made such intuitive sense. Apple's doing great. Oh, look, Apple, the stock is up 200%. Microsoft, go down the list, name every software company. Fundamentally, they were doing great, and their stock price is doing great. I wish it were always like that. I wish it were always that simple. So you could have a scenario where fundamentally, on the ground, Apple, Microsoft, um, Alphabet, continue to do very well, but their share prices don't reflect that over the course of a quarter, two quarters, maybe a full year. You have to become accustomed to this being the norm. 2020 is not the norm. You don't always get rewarded in real time for how well a company is doing on the ground. Yeah, the, I mean, the norm was distorted a, a long time ago by no doubt, virtue of scout. free money That's right. flying from the That's sky. That's a whole other component of it. But, but yeah. it all plays into the, to, to the same distortion field yeah. that a lot of investors have lived in for the last decade plus of trying to figure out what was fundamentally right and just what was going up because the money was flying all over the place. So, Steph, I'm going to get you in a second because I got a good segue to a trade that you've made, too. But I got to first get to Steve Leisman. He's got breaking news regarding the Fed. Powell spoke today, obviously, in a busy week of Fed speak. And there is more, Steve. Yeah, uh, the Fed's uh, Governor Michelle Bowman. We don't hear from her a lot on monetary policy and the economy, but she is speaking out now another day. More hawkish comments from the Federal Reserve. She's saying that despite declines in inflation, we have a lot more work to do. She says inflation is too high. She's committed to further action uh, when it comes to uh, bringing down inflation, and she expects the Fed to continue to raise rates. Uh, finally, she's looking for compelling signs that inflation has peaked. Hopefully, you can bring it down without a significant economic downturn. But she says even in that case, the risk of higher or persistent inflation is greater than whatever the cost might be to the economy. She is encouraged by the labor market strength, strong household balance sheets, and the banking system. Uh, but, you know, Scott, uh, just one more thing. Hawkish Fed talk. I don't know if you look at the NFIB survey today, the percent of firms raising prices. Take a look at this. Back down to 24 this is the third largest drop in the net percent of firms raising prices uh, in, uh, uh, in the 50-year history of this survey. Um, and it's the average, Scott's around 21. Now it's 24. It had been as high as 54. So there's more good inflation news for you. Yeah. Scott? Um, it, it, and it's important. Is, is the Fed listening? I mean, and you've really uh, forwarded yeah. that conversation th this week. Um, Josh Brown has a question for you, Steve. Hey, Steve. So one of the big problems that we have right now is that the most important determinant of uh, the future path of inflation is employment, labor, jobs. And that seems to be the one that acts on the biggest lag. However, when you look beneath the surface, there is a series that historically has had some value as a leading indicator. Uh, there's a professor named Tim Dye who was writing about this this week, which is temp jobs. 
temp jobs are falling off a cliff. And historically, specifically going into the great financial crisis, <clears throat> we're an amazing leading indicator within the labor market uh, stats. We've had five straight months of evaporating temp jobs, down about 115,000 since July. In December, 35,000 temp jobs disappeared. That should be, my opinion, that should be the type of labor force data that we're focused on if we want to get the end of tightening right. What are your thoughts? What are you hearing from people that actually make these decisions? I have long... You know, when that number comes out at 830, uh, Josh, I got to make a lot of quick decisions. <laughs> Looking at temporary help is one thing I have always looked at uh, to see what the tenor of the jobs report is. If there's a lot of temp help, that's usually, you know, what do you want to call it? The halfway house to getting a full time job, right? Is that you bring them on temporarily. And when there are not a lot of temporary workers, that is definitely an indication that perhaps the job market is slowing. It is slowing, Josh. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think what you bring up is a critical piece of data. Um, it, you saw that, by the way, in the wage growth also coming down. Unemployment rate, I think, is a little bit weird right now because of what's happening with the labor force. I'll be talking about that more tomorrow. But right now, um, I think the job market is slowing. And as the point I've been making all week here, uh, Josh, is that I, it's not clear to me the Fed is listening to the data. We had uh, very good data in the um, uh, prices index in the ISM services. It mm -hmm. was down mm -hmm. uh, quite substantially. And then this NFIB data is down, too. You're going to see if they're listening on Thursday when we get CPI. And that's uh, Steve. Thank you, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe sure. um, what some of this chop in the market today is is all about. No one really wants to get on either side of that CPI. So we'll see how that progresses. But, Steph, we're talking a lot about winners in 22 and wondering what the best move for, you know, an investor is in, in 2023. It brings me to a trade that you've made, a, a big outperformer last year, a stock that seems universally loved, United Healthcare, which you sold. Yeah, I mean, I bought this in the spring of 2020, and I'm up about 100, or was up about 150%. This is a fabulously run company. And oh, by the way, they report earnings this Friday, expected to be very good, another beat and a raise. But it's not cheap. It has outperformed. It is universally, universally loved. And so I'm looking for opportunities. And so I put it into GE Healthcare, which is the spin from GE. You know, one of my picks for the year is GE. Well, GE Healthcare is a great company as well, actually. It's been around for 125 years. They have a billion patients, 4 million installed base. 50% of their revenue is recurring and they're growing digital, which should help growth as well as recurring revenue. And oh, by the way, they pre-announced today, positively, better than expected operating margins, 50 to 100 basis points expected better this year versus last year. And that's the real opportunity because the margins are so depressed from being under entrapped in the GE parent company. So now they're free to do their thing and they're trading at about 17 times forward estimates. Siemens, which is the biggest competitor, is trading at 23 times. So even if you have the multiple, right, in, in terms of uh, the, uh, the margins, sorry, even if you increase the, the margins by, uh, you know, 50, 500 basis points, I think they could do more than that. You're still below Siemens, and I still think there's a lot of operating leverage to be seen. So it's going to trade a little funky because a spins usually do right out of the gate. But I do think this one is a winner for the long term. Watching it move uh, as you're talking about it. And GE, you mentioned it, but just to remind people, it was one of your stock summit picks for the year of 2023. Right, Steph? 
Yeah, I mean, the company is just getting more simple, right? It used to be impossible to analyze. And so now they're spinning off healthcare. Next year, they're going to do power gen. They're doing a very good job in terms of their engine business as an aftermarket. And I think that their margins have upside. But this story, just like Boeing, trades on free cash flow. And I think free cash flow is just at an inflection point. All right. Good stuff, uh, Steph. Thank you for that. All right. So what are, what are we thinking, Jim, about this you know, rally that you know, you, you're sort of full behind here? Um, there's a lot of technical speak out today. Newton over at Fundstrat says the bounce is expected to fail sometime this week. Could happen between Tuesday and Thursday before turning lower to break the December 2022 lows. Uh, overall, key areas of focus lie near 39.50 to 39.70 as resistance and 37.94 and 3.800 as support. And Krinsky's out with a note today as well from BTIG talking about resistance too. There's not a lot of belief that this has a lot of staying power. Yeah, so you just quoted two of the technicians that I follow and that obviously are friends of the show, and you're right. It's, it's hard to find uh, positivity from them, and that's the way it's going to be until the fundamentals change. Now, on the fundamental basis, I mean, you look at what's gone on the last couple of months. You've had a series of good CPI reports. You had that good uh, jobs report yesterday, or excuse me, last week from an inflation perspective. Uh, it, the news has turned better in terms of what the Fed is doing, and I think the markets from a fundamental point of view are facing two questions. One is, how high is the Fed going to go, not whether they're going to cut, how high are they going to go? And the second is, what impact are those Fed hikes going to have on earnings? And we're going to get some clarity on both of those this week, and I think it matters. I think the CPI matters on Thursday because if it comes in better than expected, that's three months in a row of better than expected, but also if you get the up one-tenth of a percent month over month, that's like five months in a row of being at a rate that would equate to two percent. That's Good. Okay. Now, earnings, look, there's going to be a pent up effect. I, we do know that, and that's why earnings estimates for this year have come down from 250 to 230. Are they going lower? That's the big question. We're going to start to get some insight this week from the banks, from Delta Airlines, from United Health. Um, I think it matters. I think it matters. I expect Delta to be really good with what they say. I'm hoping and expecting, frankly, that the banks say the consumer is hanging in there, that they're prepared for the health of the consumer to go down. But as with the last three quarters, they're not seeing it yet. There's been a really big divergence in uh, S&P financials that I think has gone under-remarked. We always talk about the banks, the banks, the banks. But if you take a look at the KBE, which is pure play, actual banks versus the XLF, which is banks plus insurance companies, plus brokers, plus asset managers, and whole, the, the, the performance disparity is wild. The KBE is underperforming the XLF uh, over the last 90 days. The XLF is up 15%, which is a pretty big rally for that sector. The KBE is up almost 2%. And that's that's like basically flatlining. So it'll be interesting to see if this massive rally we've seen in non-bank financials, again, especially insurance, um, is then validated by the banks having something good to say. The rate picture is on their side. Right. And if we don't get an international global recession and if somehow China's emergence from this nonsense covid zero policy if, if that actually comes to pass in Q1, there would be no reason for us to be talking about recession. So then what is the conversation going to be about? Well, you can make money lending, you can make money on deposit accounts, and you're not reserving every drop of earnings you have for some sort of calamity in the near term. That would be a huge positive for the names in that, in that KBE group. I probably don't own enough of them 
in that scenario. So we'll later on in the show, by the way, um, leading ahead of the earnings, which are going to start later in the week. There are a number of calls on those stocks today in terms of price targets. So we'll go through specifically on that. And by the way, one last point. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, go ahead. Steph. Scott, yeah. can I just make a can I just make a comment on earnings? Because I actually do think that's one of the reasons why we're rallying so far to start the year. Sure, it's seasonally a strong period, but I think earnings are actually going to be a little bit better than expected. Sure, demand is going to be soft. We know that. But the dollar is down 9% from its peak. Mm. Input costs and inflation is definitely coming down. Supply chains are easing. And oh, by the way, consumption is running up 3% annualized for this quarter, and that's going to carry momentum into the first quarter. Everyone wants to say the consumer is dying, it's dead, it's horrible. The banks aren't going to tell you that, by the way, on Friday. They're going to say, sure, we're going to have to increase reserves because of what we forecast in the future, but they're not going to say the consumer is dying right this very moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important. And one last last thing, if you listened to any of the pre-announcements Post pre-ICR conference this week, Lulu, Macy's, you look at Nike's earnings, Dollar General's earnings, none of them said it was demand. Everyone is saying it's inventory. That's the gift that keeps on giving, unfortunately. Eventually, they're going to get the inventories right. And I think demand is going to stay strong. And so I think that's one of the reasons why the market is hanging in there. All right. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. I, I did think uh, Paul Tudor Jones's comments today on Squawk were really interesting, which we'll discuss ahead. Um, After this quick break, we do have a big downgrade for one of the top S&P stocks over the past three months. There is ownership in multiple places on the desk. We'll debate that in our call of the day. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're going to get to our call of the day in a minute. I did want to address what Paul Tudor Jones said today on Squawk Box because He's been the most, certainly one of the most out front people about the Fed's policy over the last year plus. You know, I mean, he said it enough on the on the air that he thought what they were doing was ridiculous Um, in terms of still stimulating the system, obviously taking inflation somewhat for granted. I thought what he said today was interesting. Yes, he said it's the most challenging situation Josh he's seen in 40 years. Absent a major economic contraction, markets should stay strong. Kind of surprised to hear him say that. Fed will stop short of breaking the economy is a view that he had 
as well. And I was kind of surprised to hear him say that, too, rather than what has become the norm to say that they are going to break the economy. Markets should stay strong, barring some you know, major contraction. And the Fed's going to stop short of ruining the whole thing. What do you think of that? Yeah, no, I, th- I think I think I agree with pretty much everything that he said, and I hope he gets this right. And I hope uh, he's right about the Fed being able to potentially pull it off. Um, the big difference here between the last great inflation fight, which uh, Paul Tudor Jones lived through, I didn't, uh, is that a lot of that was was supply oriented. We had that supply issue. But the bigger issue is trillions of dollars that went to consumers and to, to PTJ's point, is still being worked off. And people don't change their behavior on a dime. And people still feel like they can continue to spend at the rate that they're spending. That's why S&P companies have had almost no problem raising prices. Name an industry. None of them are saying they can't push through price hikes. And that's what's really prolonging the inflation fight. In an ordinary circumstance, when you didn't have $1.3 trillion worth of excess savings a full year after the last uh, stimulus package, um, in that kind of scenario, you would be able to get things to cool off quicker. But that's not the, the environment we're in. The environment we're in is people continue to spend, look at the airlines, go to a restaurant. You don't need the data. Just open your eyes. And the Fed has been unable to stop the pace of that. And I'm actually surprised. I would have thought they'd been able to. Well, the to. pace is slowing. I mean, at least what Leesman, remember the chart that Leesman showed from NFIB of this, the planned Price increases are taking a big well, dip good. Lower. Well, good. They shouldn't rise at 7% a year. But I'm just making the point that the, the, consu- the U.S. consumer is just incredible. Every time you want to call them down for the count, they just will not go down. You'll see select retailers tell you demand is not great. But in general, the consumer has not stopped. I'm pretty sure they will if and when cracks in the labor market actually appear, but we don't have any. All right. So let's let's go to our call of the day. It's Boeing. It's Morgan Stanley downgrading Boeing to equal weight from overweight. Price target goes up to 220. The um, the stock is, as most of you probably know by now, has been a you know a, a really big winner over the last uh, six months. It's up 48 percent, near 50 percent over the past six months. So, Steph, what do you what do you make of this call? I mean, the stocks had a huge run. It's a victory lap of sorts from the, the analyst who says, OK, now you reach cruising altitude. How much more you know, ascent can you really get from a name like this now? I think they're going to be sorry that they downgraded it. I really do. I mean, look, the stock, as you mentioned, has been a, it's been a hero, right, since the lows of September up 71 percent because production is improving in the 737 max on the 787. Um, they now don't have to spend any additional time on the 7377 and 10 series. The cockpit changes. That's not a big deal, but that was an overhang. So they're making progress. This stock trades on free cash flow, and the company is going to do $10 billion in free cash flow in 2025. I bet you anything there's upside to that number. And we're just getting really big orders. Remember the United Airlines order, the biggest in history. So I don't think you want to stop. I don't think you want to get off of this at all. And as as a derivative play, I'm going to pitch my GE again because they supply the engines for Boeing. Jim, stocks up 50 percent in six months could be the greatest story ever told. That's a big, big move in what is now an uncertain economic environment. Yeah. So 
a lot of what the analyst says is exactly right. We've transitioned in Boeing from a turnaround story to an execution story. I cannot tell you how happy it makes me to say that. We're no longer talking about when will they be able to deliver 787s or, you know, will the 737 MAX get recert or get the certification uh, deadline extended. Now we're in how quickly can they get engines because they can they can produce these things as soon as they get engines and get the free cash flow that Steph and I are talking about really quickly. This is where I want to be with this stock on execution. Cuts both ways, right? If execution miss- that you criticized quite heavily at one point, not that long ago. Yeah, but now the stock is up, so no, now it's no, good. No, 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 All kidding aside, you, you're absolutely right. I did. I was pissed off. I was really angry when that Air Force One truck But now you're putting out. all your marbles behind execution that you once because criticized. Because they've showed me. They've showed me results. They got the catalysts done that they needed. They got the 787 delivered again. They got this uh, certification deadline extended. And look at their deliveries today. Really good numbers for deliveries for December. The momentum is in Boeing's favor right now. They can only screw it up. I mean, you know, they, that's if they mis-execute, then the story changes. Unless, like many of the stocks that bounced a lot, just bounced too far. It goes where we started 32 minutes ago. You could consolidate in this name. There's no question about The stock about is it. down 5% There's this no week. There's no demand problems. No, it's not down like, 5%. That's, that's, down, that's it's, the important. Isn't that week. the important thing for yes. Airbus and Boeing is that when there's demand, yeah. a lot of issues take care of themselves eventually. And to your point, the demand extends over years. All right, The right. United order that, that Steph's talking about, the Delta order from a few months ago, they don't like renege on these orders two right. months from now when you know jobless claims go up to 300,000. That's not how it works. Okay, let's do this. Let's take a break. Coming up, Shake Shack recovering from earlier losses today after giving some new guidance. The shares outperforming to start this year. They're up double digits, so we'll trade it in our chart of the day. You know who owns it next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We're back. Let's get to our chart of the day now. It's Shake Shack. Stock opened down 3% after updating its guidance. It's up 17% so far this year. Nice rebound. Josh Brown, I think people know that you own it by this point. You've owned it for, uh, I don't know, a handful of years. I'm a, feels day, like. I'm a day one. And not only a shareholder, I'm actually a client. Uh, look, a repeat she, customer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, same Shack sales are up 5% for Q4, margins up uh, to 19%. This was a good update. I don't know why it was down at the open. Um, I think I think this is a two billion dollar market cap company, which in the scheme of things is absolutely tiny. Tons of growth ahead of it. Um, if not for the pandemic, I think this would be a hundred dollar stock, not a fifty dollar stock or a forty dollar stock. The pandemic was a very tough two year period for this company. They had to relearn and remake the entirety of their logistics. They had to build drive throughs. They had to get 
faster so that they could serve at the window and not at the counter. It was a huge investment, and that set the company back, obviously. You had no store traffic. Most of their locations are in highly populated, heavy foot traffic areas, tourist destinations, places where people work in offices. It was just, it was a nightmare. Like, name a worse scenario for a company like this. You probably couldn't outside of an alien invasion. But they've gotten through that, and now the company's growing again. And they opened 22 new company-owned stores last quarter, uh, 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 last year, and 33 licensed stores. So they put up 50 new shacks. Um, It's global. It's all over the world. And I think they have largely gotten through the toughest period they may ever face ever again. So if you were selling the stock pre-open this morning because they were supposed to do 5.1% and they did 5%, you're not really an investor here. Um, and if you weren't selling it, congratulations, because I think you'll do well over time. What do you make of the analysts, the, the breakdown on here? Six buys, 14 holds, and one sell. I don't pay any attention to that. If you want to learn something about this company, skip the sell side stuff. Go listen to Marketing Today. Just put the chief marketing officer of Shake Shack, Jay Livingston, on the podcast It's a 30-minute discussion about all of these initiatives that I'm alluding to, how they're using data to figure out what the guests actually want, how they are tacking in real time to different trends that they're seeing for demand, for day parts, for what's working at what hours. They're really thinking about making every guest uh, encounter, whether it's through the app or at the restaurant itself, an amazing encounter. And I think when you do that, you don't worry so much about you know, gross margin, you know, by decimal point in any one quarter. That is not the way to look at this stock. And quite frankly, it's not the way to look at any of the big winners that we've seen throughout history. Companies that make their customers happy ultimately have winning stock prices, period. Not who has a neutral rating on the stock. You got to trust me on this. Hundreds of years of data go into that. Um, You've got to make your customers happy. They seem to be doing a very good job. Okay. Uh, we see the stock up. You're obviously sticking with that. Contessa Brewer now has the headlines for us. Hi, Contessa. Hi there, Scott. Uh, nice to see you today. Andrew Tate arrived at a Romanian court in handcuffs to appeal his 30-day detention. The 36-year-old social media personality is charged with human trafficking, rape, and being part of an organized crime group. Now, Tate previously had been banned from various social media platforms for expressing, and when I say misogynistic views, I mean that might be an understatement, and a lot of hate speech. More than 7,000 nurses from two of New York City's largest hospitals are on strike for a second day over pay raises and staffing. Talks, we have learned, have resumed between the New York State Nurses Association and Montefiore Hospital, but negotiations reportedly have stalled at Mount Sinai. That's according to the New York Times. And two more states are joining the movement to ban TikTok on state devices. New Jersey and Ohio are the latest states to ban the use of the popular video app on government-managed devices after FBI director uh, said that it poses national security risks. Halftime Report will be back in two minutes. All right, it's time for Grade My Trade. Jimmy, you're up first from Warren in Pennsylvania. I sold Disney at a $3 a share loss and bought Kinder Morgan. Did this on Friday, January the 6th. You own both. I do. What do you tell Warren? 
All right, going to give you, Warren, a B on this. Hard to give you an A when you sell one of my babies. Um, I understand the parlay bet in general, but I'm not sure I understand this parlay bet. If you're saying to me that, hey, I think we're going into a recession, nobody's going to Disneyland or to the movies, and I just want to be in something safe that gives me a 6% yield, then God bless you. This is a good trade. However, I do think that Disney at this level is not the level at which you should be selling. I've said that for quite some time. I like both stocks, but they're very different, so I'm not sure I get the parlay bet here. Okay, Steph, link for you uh, from a Twitter user. I bought Estee Lauder at $233.55 on December the 6th of 2022. What do you think? You own Estee. I own it. I like it. I think it goes much higher because China is 30% of total revenue and travel retail is 25% of total revenue, both of which I expect to come back into 2023 and into 2024. Strong international brands, excellent M&A strategy, very conservative guidance. I think this is a winner long term. Okay, Josh, lastly to you, Corey says, I bought Amazon today at the open. What do we think about this? So I can I own Amazon. I can only speak to my own investment here. And what I want to tell you is that the buy with prime launch, which they are opening up to everyone starting sometime before January 31st, might actually be the biggest Amazon product launch since they really started to focus on AWS. The history of Amazon is building amazing technology internally then turning it inside out and allowing the whole world to benefit from it. Cloud was one example of that. The next big thing, um, Buy With Prime, they had a a pilot program going on with only invited third-party merchants who wanted to sell their own product, but let people buy it with Prime and have Amazon's logistics handle the delivery, et cetera. They said that there is a 25% increase in conversions for these third-party websites that include the Buy With Prime button. So this is now like what the Chinese e-commerce giants figured out 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Amazon is now going to go down this road where they become the third-party logistics provider and payment provider for anybody looking to up their conversions, selling anything on the Internet. I think it has huge potential. I don't think that potential is in the stock yet. Not a lot of people are talking about this, but I would urge anyone involved with Amazon or considering it to read up on Buy With Prime and think about, talk about total addressable markets. Oh, my God. So this is an example of Amazon basically now being able to monetize this incredible technology that they've already built for themselves and allowing everyone else in on it. And I think it's got a real a real shot to become a big part of the story. Fits our story, too, of stocks, again, laggards to doing well. Right. Well, it's up seven percent year to date. And it was a huge laggard last year, down. Well, 45%. It was, uh, you know, as of three days ago, it was down. Fifty-three yeah. percent from its yeah, high. No, so I hear. I, I hear you. You'll on excuse that. me if I'm not celebrating just yet. <laughs> yeah. All right. Keep your trades coming in. Send us an email. Ask halftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, and we'll continue to grade your trades. Up next, the big bank kicking off earnings later this week. Number of price target changes today ahead of those numbers. We debate them. Get you all set up for the earnings numbers. We're back right after this. All right, we do have big bank earnings kicking off on Friday morning. Wells Fargo named a top pick today ahead of that print. Stephanie Link, you own that. Price target gets trimmed to 52 from 56. They cut earnings estimates as well. It's still called a top pick, though. Yeah, it's a confusing call. I don't really pay much attention to major changes ahead of an earnings print. 
I think Wells Fargo, you own it because it's a special situation story, net interest income. It's very sensitive for every 100 basis point improvement to the Fed funds. That's 2.6 billion to net interest income for Wells Fargo. They have expense control. We have the overhang in terms of regulatory issues that is getting cleared up. So we want to get a little bit more there. And they've got a goal of ROTCE of 15%. They're at 10 right now. So there's a lot they can do at one times book value. Jim, BMO raised price targets on a number of banks today, including two that you own, J.P. Morgan and Citi. J.P.M. price target to 165, Citi to 74. J.P.M. reiterated a market perform. Citi, Citi, excuse me, reiterated outperform. It's their top large pick. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, the stock's been a terrible laggard for the space for, for a few years now. Uh, Jane Frazier got no honeymoon when she came on board. Let's see if this is the year. I mean, the, the first thing I think she needs to do is uh, get the, the Banamex uh, operations sold. That's been talked about for quite some time. I think that would be a feather in her cap and maybe get the stock moving permanently to the positive. Okay. JPM, Josh, you own that as well. Yeah, I've been in this stock for a very long time, and uh, I feel as though this could be the year where their prudence during uh, the rising rate period starts to shine a little bit. Um, this is a company that didn't go crazy into crypto. Uh, I don't think they went crazy into tech investment banking in the way that they could have. Uh, it seems as though they played it safe as they normally do. And now the, the, the bank should be rewarded for that. Higher rates are going to help. And if we don't have a recession in Europe, as I mentioned in the A block, um, then probably uh, there should be a little bit of multiple expansion even. So there's a very cheap stock, and I think it's going higher. So let me ask you this. You said at the, at the top of the show when you talked about the banks that you were too underweight space, right? I, you should, I, I should probably more. own more of these than I do. Yeah. If you did, because you, I think, only own J.P. Morgan, um, which would it be? Do you have any idea? You know, Scott, life is a highway, <laughs> and I want to ride it. And in order to do that, <laughs> I'm going to need a higher multiple, higher beta bank. Like, and, and this ain't going to be the one, I don't think, that gives me the best bang for my buck if that thesis starts to play out. So expect it to be something, maybe not mega cap, maybe large cap, mid cap, but I will make sure you are the first to know. Did you watch Cars the movie too much when it came out? <laughs> What's too much? What's the over-under? Never enough. Over-under 10. About never enough, Lightning. <laughs> All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right, hope you'll join me 4 o'clock Eastern today for overtime. We'll have the latest from Jeffrey Gunlock's annual kickoff webcast. Happens during overtime today, so we're going to bring you the latest headlines from Jeffrey Gunlock ahead of CPI uh, later in the week, so that'll be important to keep an eye on. We have a new note today from Dan Ives on Microsoft. Huge questions remain, really, about that stock's trajectory from here. Alger's Anker Crawford's going to join us as well. Talking China, investing in global markets. Look, there are a lot of people who think that Emerging markets are going to outperform U.S. markets this year. So we'll discuss all of that. Do have a downgrade I want to get to on a Josh Brown stock before we do final trade. It's A.O. Smith. Got a sell call today. UBS downgraded there. Price target to 58 from 65. What do we think of this? Well, the analyst is raising an interesting point about there being a new wave of competition, specifically from GE Appliances. Um, and that that could lead to the premium pricing for A.O. Smith's water heaters and, and boilers and water, you know, related electric products, uh, maybe not selling at the same margin that they used to. I don't really see this as a reason to 
not be invested. They've had challengers before, uh, some sticking with the stock, but their point is taken. I'll, I'm following it. Give me, give me a final trade. Um, let's just do J.P. Morgan uh, bank earnings kickoff. I think on Friday, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Uh, J.P.M. I think is next week, though. Um, I'm staying long. I think the stock is way too cheap. Okay. Steph Link. I'm a buyer of Broadcom today, down three and a half percent on the Apple news that they're going to insource some chips. This is not the be all end all for Broadcom. VMware deal is going to offset it. This is a two year down the road kind of a thing. So I like it very much. All right. Real quick from you. Wind Resorts breaking out. Okay, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you in the OT. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.